everyone. My name is Reese Garlinski, and this is Young History, episode 122 on Guinea. The capitalist country is Conakry, and the name likely comes from the Amazir people. They use a word called Aguinal. This translates to Guinea, and Guinea pretty much translates to land of the black people. Some cool facts about this country are that they nicknamed their coastline the Aluminum Coast for its massive bauxite supply. Guinea has a very young population. Around 40% of it is under 15 years old to this day. And griot culture is very significant here. Griots are pretty much storytellers and music makers that have the sole duty of spreading the culture to the next generation through oral methods rather than written ones. And with that being said, those are some cool facts, and we're just going to get right into this. I'm going to get into the different people groups here, their cultures, and all sorts of things that explain this country throughout history and how it got to the point it is, as we always do. So it's going to be a fun one, but I'm very glad you guys are here, and it's going to be good. So one more time, my name is Reese Karolinski, this is Young History, and this is Guinea. You guys enjoy. Our origins start in a period known as the Stone Age. Hunters and gatherers first arrived here at this time and moved throughout the land to survive. Eventually, agricultural practices were accepted and different civilizations would start to pop up. One of the first was the Baga people. They were famous for their sculpting skill and produced many of the earliest West African sculptures as well as being one of the early civilizations here. Two people groups that are very influential to the history are the Fula and Mandinka. The Fula people came into the area in search of grazing lands because they were traditionally pastoralist. They herded cattle as their main source of food, dairy, and lifestyle, and they are about 40% of the population today. The Mandinka people also arrived through the gradual migration. They arrived gradually throughout the 3rd to 6th centuries. They were originally farmers that had some of the most successful agricultural systems in West Africa, and today they are the second largest people group. These people groups interacted heavily and influenced each other throughout history because they competed and were always jostling for position in the land they shared. The Baga people started to become influential once again between the 3rd and 6th centuries, just like the Mandinka were. They started to trade their sculptures from their coastline settlements inland to become more influential and profitable. And in this time period, we'd see things like the Ghana Empire, the Songhai, and the Sahelian kingdoms all influence the land at different points. They pretty much just use Guinea as a trade point and use the people here as either soldiers or slave labor. But this kind of changed when Islam started to come into the land. The influence of Islam arrived in the 1000 CE, when the Berber and Mazir sailors of the Almoravid dynasty established control of Morocco and began influencing Guinea. So because of this, Islam had planted its roots in Guinea and it started to spread over time. The kingdom of Kabu lasted from 1537 to 1867 and was prominent in the region that is modern-day Guinea-Bissau, but it was a major trade partner of Guinea and made Guinea very rich in its time in power, at least in certain parts near the coast. The Mali Empire took power in the northeastern part of Guinea and established actual control over the area around the 1300s. 
The empire made Guinea into a trade hub with eventual Guinea-Bissau as the port. The Mali Empire was very influential in deepening Guinea's connection to Islam as it became a part of daily culture and advancement in society. The Bamana Empire was founded in the 1600s by the Bambara people, an ethnic group that inhabited the Niger River Valley in what is now Mali. It emerged as a powerful state through the conquest of Guinea and other neighboring nations. It overthrew the Mali Empire in Guinea around the 1600s. The Bamana Empire had an administrative system with a centralized government under the rule of a king known as Fama. The Bambara people created impressive sculptures, marks, and textiles, which were not only significant to their artistic value, but also had cultural and religious significance. The empire also honored the animist religion that was present here, and honored all the different ones that came with African culture and Guinea culture, and Islam was also incorporated into the greater cultural practice of the everyday empire member under the Bambara people. By the late 19th century, the Bamana Empire, like many other African states, faced a lot of external pressures, mainly from the European colonial expansion that was happening. And as the Bamana started to decline, there was the rise of the Imamates of Futa Jalon. They rose to power after the Futa people declared jihad and created their own state in northeastern Guinea. This state lasted throughout the 1800s until Samori Toure arrived. Toure was a military leader in Guinea throughout the 1800s, and he established the Wasolu Empire over the region. The Wasolu Empire lasted from 1878 to 1898, and it was under Samari Toure that the Mandingo Wars began. They were fought from 1883 to 1898. They were fought between Toure's Wasolu Empire and the French Empire. The war started because the Mandinka people started many resistances in the region. The Mandinka-led uprisings were characterized by heavy support for anti-European settlement, and the locals backed this with all their might. Some of the major events were the Kieta-led resistance against the French in the late 1800s in what is now Mali, and the war would go on for five years total and was brutal. It costed a lot of lives, nearly 100,000 to be exact. By the end of it, the French had won and were able to establish control. French West Africa was officially established in 1891. The French rule boosted development of infrastructure by paving roads, building ports, and connecting railroads. The French also implemented a much stronger education and healthcare system because it was one that resembled France itself. And many of these systems are still in place today. But the greater influence of French rule was negative in nature. The French established an agricultural system that promoted bananas, pineapples, and peanuts as the main plants to be exported for wealth. This money was for the colonial government, not for the citizens. The French used forced labor to create public works and raise infrastructure at a low cost, which the Guineans considered glorified slavery. The French also alienated ethnic groups in order to divide the people. Some of the tensions still remain today. And it's in the midst of all of this that we get the man Ahmed Sekou Torre. He becomes one of the most influential men of not only Guinea, but West Africa overall. Because of his influence, he actually earned the name The Elephant due to all the things he did. And he also was given this name because his birth was seen as a good omen because interest from baby elephants was very prominent in the area of where he was born. So it was seen as an omen from Mother Nature that he was meant to be a very successful person. And the reason the moniker stuck was because of his intelligent and strong political moves against the French in the name of Guinea.
He became a trade union activist. He organized the first successful strike in French West Africa and worked to expand workers' unions. In 1951, he became a trade representative of Guinea and the French National Assembly. Eventually, he became prime minister in 1957 at the age of 35. Of course, this was for Guinea. In this position, he promoted Pan-Africanism, which was a direct counter to French rule, which was trying to promote French culture and suppression. Throughout this, he campaigned heavily against the French and challenged Charles de Gaulle to decolonize all of Guinea. And one of the famous quotes he said was, We prefer poverty and liberty than richness in slavery. And Torre oversaw the referendum in later September of 1958. This referendum saw 94% of voters choose independence from France. And the reason this is so significant is not only that it means independence for Guinea, which is established officially on October 2nd, 1958, but it marks Guinea as the only country in French West Africa to actually accept independence instead of kind of gradually whittling away from it the way most of them did, because France was very serious about the fact that if someone agreed to independence for their country, they were saying no to all the French aid and influence that was there, which was very beneficial. So Guinea becomes the only one out of about 20 or so French West African nations to do this, and it has a lot of huge effects. Upon independence, Torre ascended to the role of president. After independence, all French aid and protection was pulled out of Guinea, in a fit of rage by Charles de Gaulle. On top of this, Guinea possessions were repossessed, and the French got very violent. They burned historical records, trashed the governor's office, and ended their relationship with Guinea outright. This caused economic hardship and instability to hit Guinea very hard. Guinea ended up taking aid from Ghana and traded with the Soviet Union to keep progressing. Guinea became socialist in the late 1950s. Relations started to sour between the Soviet Union and Guinea because Torre was advised by his cabinet that the Soviets were planning a Marxist revolution in Guinea, which was not what Torre signed up for. Torre cut off all ties with the Soviet Union and shifted their allegiance. In 1963, Guinea started to get a relationship with the United States, and from here, they received aid and support. The U.S. gave $400 million to Guinea to explore bauxite reserves in the country because they believed that being able to really take advantage of the bauxite reserves would mean a lot of aluminum production and an actual stable export sector of the economy to keep the country strong. And bauxite is the rock that aluminum was created from, just so you guys know. And Guinea has one of the hugest reserves of it in the entire world. After this, Torre started to fear that his people were thinking of overthrowing him. This started when he uncovered a few real plots to end his leadership. Torre got anxious, and he cracked down on anyone who resisted him. He arrested teachers who protested for equal pay, and then started to come down on all other intellectuals and political opponents. Because of his abuses and literal murders of many people that were not actually doing anything illegal caused a revolution to break out against him. This divided Torre from his people more and more, and instead of backpedaling or trying to reconcile things, he made more policies to crack down on Guinean's rights and just made the gap even farther and led to an overall distaste for him. Torre actually backed the Guinea-Bissau independent movement with Guinean troops as kind of a way to distract from all that was going on. And as a reaction to Torre supporting the independence of Guinea-Bissau, Portugal actually led an invasion against them. The goal of this invasion was to overthrow Torre, cripple the fighting forces of Guinea-Bissau, and punish any Guinea freedom fighters. This invasion was not entirely successful overall because, one, Torre was not overthrown, 
but Portugal was able to release many prisoners of war from Guinea and was able to weaken the naval power of Guinea-Bissau. Eventually, Guinea-Bissau would win this war and gain independence, just a spoiler there, but it didn't mean that Guinea lost. Torre ended up losing his composure when he started to execute political opponents, exile journalists, and restrict political rights even more. And this led to even more protests against the Tory regime, this time led by women in rural areas. The fervor of these women fighting outside of the capital and nationwide actually caused things to spread into the capital and a huge march on the president's palace to occur. Torre ordered his soldiers to fire upon the crowd, and this killed many protesters, which mostly were women. Torre remained in power until his death from a heart failure in 1984, and Torre is widely seen as the cornerstone of Pan-Africanism in Guinea and independence within the country, despite simultaneously being viewed as a dictator. Nonetheless, he is one of the most significant figures in the history of Guinea and West Africa as a whole. After Torre, there have been many presidents that came in and out. Not a lot of change happened as Guinea has struggled to maintain control over its own exports like bauxite and other things like that because of influence from European companies that is pure evil, greedy, and disgusting. And I'm not going to get super into it now, but I'll talk a lot about more of this when we get to Ghana because that's a really good example of it, or like South Africa. But... We'll just say that some of these European and occasionally American companies are part of the reason that some African countries can't get out of their economic struggle, and Guinea is definitely one of them. And the next major event we're going to talk about is the 2009 massacre. On September 28, 2009, 156 people were killed and 100 women were sexually assaulted. This all occurred because they supported the anti-government movement that was happening called Gentile. These people were protesters that got killed in a stadium for their political activism. The president at the time was Mose Dadis Kamara, and today he is still under trial for his hand in this massacre. Because of all this that went on, Alpha Conde became president in 2010 with a platform based on anti-corruption, but of course, he was very corrupt himself. Under his presidency, one of the scariest public health issues occurred, which was Ebola. This broke out heavily in 2014 and weakened the country's economic standing because foreign aid started to disappear and the tourism industry completely died. And it pretty much made Guinea and Guinea-Bissau the two least visited countries in the world at different points throughout the 2010s and 2020s. In 2021, a military junta overthrew the government's leaders. Mamade Dumboya was the leader of this coup. The insurrection was widely supported by the Guinea citizens who felt that there had not been a proper democratic change in power for far too long. The military junta promised that a three-year transitional period to a civilian rule would occur. The citizens and many international organizations felt this was far too long. The military junta promised that power would be given back to the people, but there still has been no democratic election yet. In the time since the junta has taken power, they've been very slow to even consider giving power back to the people. Protests against the military junta sprang up from mid-2022 to 2023. But these have often turned deadly because of the aggression against protesters from the military junta and previously established doctrines of treating protesters like they're animals and killing them. Issues like that go all the way back to Torre and before. And the violence against protesters and overall regime of the junta has resulted in the economic community of West African states to place sanctions on Guinea. The hope was that these sanctions would help Guineans push the junta out of power, but now the people who are already fighting hard to stay alive in their country are now suffering for it even more. All that 
that gets us to the present, where Guinea is a low-developed country that only sees high regard for safety around the capital. Even so, Conquery has been gripped by political instability and protests since 2021 and 2022. However, Conquery has promoted itself as a cultural tourist destination. The farming practices, cuisine, dress, and lifestyle of Guinea citizens offer a great experience for scholars and curious tourists to explore. The hope from the Guineans is that they're going to be able to shift the culture they have had away from being kind of anti-tourism and seen as this outlier in tourism by the international community and ships into one that is more inviting. And it's succeeded. If you look up Guinea, there's lots of travel videos. People are making it very clear the culture here is beautiful and the different people groups have many different cultures and foods and dance and practices. And it's all sorts of things that Guineans as a whole want people to see and it's things that people want to explore. So if it keeps going, we'll see a very positive feedback loop. But despite those changes, the present is very tough. The economy has been stagnant since the military junta took over, and people are feeling the effects. Jobs are scarce, and the quality of life has dropped. Many people are leaving Guinea for better opportunities in neighboring countries, or sometimes out of the continent itself. And with that, that gets us to the very end, where I always like to leave it with a takeaway or mindset. And with Guinea, that's going to be, very honestly, just keep pushing on. I'm not going to be long-winded with this one, because Guinea represents it very well. They have been battered, bruised, pushed around, and abused since at least the 1890s when the French took over. They've been used as labor forces, had their money taken away from them, had resources stripped, and have had political rights stripped, protesters killed. All sorts of things like this have happened to the Guinea people and the ethnic groups within that greater umbrella. But they've never stopped, and they've always just pushed through. I know it hasn't been easy. I will never say that this is some easy task, but these people are here and they've got it done. Day in, day out, they've tried to push out different regimes that have been terrible. They've protested and fought for not only their independence, but for better regimes and leaders to come into power when ones have been abusive. They've pushed for democratic change. They've pushed out socialist rule when it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. The Guineans have always pushed, pushed, pushed through everything and pushed out anyone they didn't want negatively affecting them. I say you can easily take all that into your own head and try and apply it to your life, which is push through. That things are going to be tough, things are going to be hard, you're going to have people that try and take things from you, try to influence you in a certain way, and the only way to get through all these struggles of life and pressures and unmet desires is to push through, is to push through from today to tomorrow. Push through this hour, this 10 minutes, this one minute, just push through it, get to the next one, see what you can do then, and just continue to try and be your best, and no matter how long it lasts, eventually you pushing through will get you to a point where you see the light at the end of the tunnel, and things will get better no matter what. So I firmly believe that in my heart, and I believe the Guineans believe it too. That's why hopefully they're going to see some change soon, and no matter what, they will see change eventually, just like you will. Just like you will. So hope you guys are well. I hope you enjoyed. I hope Guinea meant a lot to you because it definitely meant a lot to me, and that's going to be that. So one more time. My name is Reese Karlinski, this is Young History, and that was Guinea. I hope you guys enjoyed, and I hope you have a wonderful day.